Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Consider the strange story of the human house. Contrary to what the phrase caveman implies, there's very little evidence that we ever lived in caves. More likely, the caves were used for rituals of some sort while we lived in huts or tents. One kind of early dwelling used animal bones for structure covered over by the animal's skin. Others were made of ice or mud. People built what they needed, not more, and homelessness didn't exist even as a concept. During the Middle Ages, Great lavish homes for royalty and wealthy citizens began to appear, and later the Industrial Revolution stimulated a tremendous need for housing in cities. And while it created urban slums, the Industrial Revolution also contributed to the growth of a middle class, eventually creating a system in which most people who wanted to buy a house could do so, and that's where things get really interesting. In 1916, The term realtor was invented and an association formed to assist with the acquisition and transfer of homes. The home had arrived as a commodity, a product, something to buy, trade, and sell. Mortgages became available to the middle class and realtors and mortgagers teamed up to help people get into these two hot new products. In 1950, The average single-family American home was 983 square feet. By 1983, that had doubled, and then it kept going to peak out at 250% increase in size over five decades. Were American families getting that much bigger? No, in fact, the average American family shrank by 20% over the same period of time. So here we are 10,000 years later, with people who have not one home, but two or three or four. We have others called investors who might have 50 or 100 or 200 homes, many of which they have no intention of living in and most of which they've never even seen. Equally odd, we have a bunch of financial products like reverse amortization loans, where the longer you hold the loan, the more you owe on the house which is poetic because they're offered to people who can't afford mortgages in the first place. And then we invented mortgage-backed securities, which are bundles of these little creative mortgages. So look how far we've come. Now, you can invest your retirement savings in mortgages designed never to pay off homes of people who aren't qualified to buy them in the first place, homes which in turn are owned by others who've never seen them and have no intention of living in them. And might I just mention that the number of homeless people is at an all-time high. We've come a long way in 10,000 years. At the end of 2006, there were 2.1 million houses sitting empty, and at the same time, there were roughly 3.5 million homeless people. At the current average of 2.6 people per household, we could give every single homeless person a place to live tonight and still have hundreds of thousands of extra empty houses that we don't know what to do with.
The issue with real estate is that our world doesn't work on some level if the house is just a product. We used to work cooperatively with Mother Earth to meet our needs within her limits. Building shelter was an expression of our connection to the Earth and to each other. It was a way to establish communion rather than just a way to generate a profit. This process of commodification, the assignment of economic value to something we never thought of in purely economic terms, plays out dozens of times in our lives these days. Healthcare is the latest product for sale on the open market, and it's not the same as medicine, which it threatens to replace. Published in the June edition of The New Yorker was an interesting article by a Boston physician, Dr. Atul Gawanda, in which he compares two medical systems, one in McAllen, Texas, and the other, the world-renowned Mayo Clinic. His conclusion, in healthcare systems which focus primarily on making a profit, the medical care is significantly more expensive and the quality of care is lower. The patients are less healthy. On the other hand, in systems which make care the highest priority, medical care is not only cheaper to deliver, the patients are healthier. The quality of the care goes up as the cost goes down. That higher care, lower cost system, by the way, happens to be the Mayo Clinic. A hundred years ago, people had doctors. Today, my insurance company insists on calling them health care providers. Now, some people say this shift is to be more inclusive, to include nurses and therapists and chiropractors and all of the other people who work to keep us well. But I think there's something else at work here. Listen to how similar these three phrases sound. Health care provider, soft drink dispenser, auto parts distributor. For people who think in terms of profit, these are phrases which describe product delivery systems. Medicine is not a product. Someone who physically touches your body with the intention of healing you invokes an ancient sacred relationship. Centuries before modern science existed, the relationship between the physician and the patient was well established. In fact, in thousands of years, the basics of that relationship have not changed. While we all appreciate the advances of modern science, what most people complain about today is not the absence of a good blood test. What many find lacking is a sense of deep personal connection with a physician. Last November, CNN released a survey of physicians in the United States which revealed that 50% of primary care physicians would walk away from medicine tomorrow if they were financially able to do so. Why? because according to the doctors polled, they spend way too much time with their insurance companies and not enough with their patients. So our doctors apparently miss our relationship as much as we do. We replaced a care-based relationship with a commodity, a product. Medicine, like shelter, suffers when we treat it like just a commodity. Neither of these can be bought, sold, and traded like used cars without doing serious damage to the relational aspect which is at the core of each. Music suffers from similar distortions. The packaging of music into a product, the use of branding and marketing and mass production to sell commodities 
rather than to promote a healing relationship, has filled the world with musical stuff at a time the world desperately needs the healing relationship that interactive music, live music, can bring. A single show like American Idol produces half a billion, with a B, dollars of income every year. That income comes from advertisers like AT&T and Coca-Cola who have products they'd like you to buy. So a half billion dollars rolls in easily for American Idol, but every year most school districts can't imagine where they will find the money for third graders to be able to learn to play the violin. Why? There's no product there. If there's no product, we're not interested. Materialists value commodities. Care has very little value on the open market. Love has almost none. And speaking of love, now you can charge the search for your beloved on MasterCard or Visa, and whether your preference is eHarmony, Match.com, or Manhunt, the system works the same way we move any livestock to market. Weight, waist size, color of eyes, light hair or dark, measurements, how many feet, how many inches? Your online service will help you commodify yourself. Forget about forming relationships with your environment or connecting within your neighborhood. That's too inefficient. We can market you to a bigger audience. We will help you package and brand yourself into five foot eight, blonde haired, blue eyed, athletic built, intellectual Virgo interested in sports, politics, and fine dining. Now that's a product. And once we transform you from a person to a set of checkboxes, we can target a demographic, get you to market, and hopefully sell you. And in so doing, we do the same violence to you that we have done to medicine and shelter and music. We make sacred relationships into objects so that someone else can make a profit, moving us to market like a herd of hogs. But speaking of hogs, newsflash, despite what you may read in the business section of Midwestern newspapers, hogs are not a commodity. A hog is a living thing. How many of you think of your family dog as a commodity? Are you comfortable dropping your used canine product off at a vet for processing when it's time for a newer model? Of course not. We love our dogs. We take them to a vet for care. The idea of dog as product is offensive to most people. Well, no offense, but the average pig is way smarter than your dog. Pigs form serious relationships and show evidence of the capacity for genuine affection. So why do we accept the phrase pork products without thinking twice about it, while at the same time we would riot if KFC started serving golden fried retriever? Because we allow ourselves to care about dog. Care prevents commodification. John Robbins writes that the biggest difference between family farms and factory farms is that family farmers actually name their animals, like Bessie the cow, acknowledging them as individuals. Factory farms avoid even using the word animal, referring to cows instead as food-producing units. We are moving toward a world that can only understand what is real in terms of products, profits, and markets. But so much of what is so real to us, what we need to be happy and healthy, is not product, 
It has no financial value. It's free. Can you still recognize the difference between a medical services provider and a real nurse? Here's a hint. One of them really, really cares. And if you've ever been with a real nurse, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not that nurses aren't paid what they're worth. It's that there is no money to pay a nurse what they're worth. Is it surprising that people sometimes trade in long-term partners for newer, slicker, sportier models, just like we do with our cars? In a world where everything is a commodity, why not? So am I here to try to make you feel bad about how good you feel in that nice new suit or great pair of shoes or fancy new car? Not at all. I see nothing wrong with any of those products and I hope that you fully enjoy them if you have them. But here's the secret to balancing our love affair with our stuff, with our deep and deeper human need for connection. And the secret is a medical secret, which is this. A little bit of cancer never hurt anyone. The truth is, in the average body, on the average day, there are several dozen cancerous cells. And in a healthy body, these get identified, targeted, and destroyed. And this process goes on and on and on every day. You get a little bit of cancer, and your body hits delete. If you autopsied all the very old men who die happy deaths from natural causes, you would find that most of them have prostate cancer and never even knew it. It grows so slowly, in most cases, that it sits there without taking up any space or causing problems. The only time cancer becomes a problem is when it takes up space the body needs for something more important. The problem with products comes when they take over the space we need for care. When we treat our health, our partners, or our pigs as though they're just products, we lose the very nature of those things. We become distorted in the way we see them and behave toward them. Treating natural resources like clean water, clean air, or even oil as mere commodities produces serious problems in the way we share and distribute things. Where are you getting squeezed? Where are the products in your life keeping you from connecting with the people in your life? Are you so smitten with your new handheld device that you accidentally crash the train you're driving while texting? Are you someone who can connect by email at 2 o'clock in the morning from anywhere in the world, but you can't find the time to connect over lunch with your best friend? And have you mastered the fine art of maintaining eye contact during a conversation, listening just enough to be able to nod enthusiastically at the right moments while your thumbs dance with a secret lover under the table? And have you ever stopped doing whatever it is that you're doing so that you can post whatever it is that you're doing on your Facebook page? How many of us have given up looking for a doctor who will care about us when we can really trust and we settle instead for purchasing healthcare a la carte, directing our own treatment with the help of Dr. Webb, MD. And do you spend so much time with reality TV that actual reality is a distant memory? When cancer goes too far, we can use remarkably violent means like radiation and chemicals to say to it, stop, that's as far as you go, I want my space back now. So the next time you see somebody making a product out of something that isn't, 
consider having the courage to say, stop, that's far enough, back up. If McDonald's tried to market Poodle McNuggets, the streets would be filled with people saying, that's too far, I don't care how you market that, that's disgusting. We don't tolerate the commodification of things we have a deep relationship with. So expand your list of things you have a deep relationship with and be amazed at what we have agreed to tolerate. And don't think if you're vegan that you're home free. The next time you're in a supermarket buying produce, realize that a kale or a spinach or a garlic is not a product. It's a living thing. It grew in some miraculous relationship to soil, sun, water, and air, and it enters into us in some miraculous relationship, carrying thousands of micronutrients that make us well in ways we still don't totally understand. And if you should need really aggressive therapy against malignant materialism, try anonymous service. Once a week or once a month, do something of no monetary value whatsoever, something that can't be priced. Pick up the trash in a local park, feed the hungry, play with puppies waiting for adoption at a local shelter, become a big brother. If you can find a way to do something priceless that has no market value, you are hot on the trail of care and the path of deeper connection. My spiritual friends, as we live our lives in this world of commodities and markets, may we be mindful of those things that have no market value because they are priceless. May we reclaim our lives from any products that dominate them, reconnect to the earth and to each other, deepen our relationships, and rebalance our moral portfolios by investing heavily in that timeless security called genuine care.